I don't know. I find myself saying this a lot right now. I don't know what summer's gonna look like. I don't know what next fall is gonna look like. I am uncertain about everything. And this is hard for all of us, not just the planners among us. This is unusual for us. Generally speaking, we are people who tend to have more control over what's going on in our lives. And having to say, I don't know what's gonna happen, puts the reality of the coronavirus and the fact that we aren't in control at the forefront of our minds. And that can be disturbing and unsettling. As people of faith, what resources do we have in these times of uncertainty and challenges? We're in a series right now called A Faith That Works When Life Doesn't, where we've been looking at the Apostle Paul's life and the challenges he faced. We started by looking at confidence in God, what is true of God that we can depend on in this time. And this week we shift the focus to looking at how these challenges can make us stronger and better. Today we're going to look at two instances in Paul's life that can help us deal with uncertainty. And they are two very different circumstances with two different messages, but they are both true. I want to start with Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. Let me give you a little bit of the context before I read the verses. Paul has a warm relationship with the Philippians who he's writing this letter to. He founded this church. Um, he, he has great relationship with them. He spent a lot of time with them. And they're worried about him because he's writing from a jail cell in Rome. Talk about uncertainty. They're wondering what's going to happen to their leader. What's going to happen to their church? What's going to happen to the message of Jesus that he's supposed to be proclaiming? Paul, remember, is a traveling evangelist. Wouldn't you think that the worst thing that could happen for his career would be to be thrown in jail? His whole job is to spread the message of Christ. How is he going to do that from the confines of a prison cell? So they're concerned. And in his isolation, in his quarantine, he sends out a message remotely to his friends. Does this sound familiar? And this is what he says. Actually, you don't need to worry about me. Things aren't as bad as you'd think. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What you'd think would be bad is actually good. Instead of hindering the message of the gospel, this has actually furthered it in two ways. First, in the palace guard, in the jail itself. The palace guard was the emperor's elite set of bodyguards in Rome. They were influential in both position and in number. There were about 13 to 14,000 of them. This is the jackpot of all prisons. This is VIP status that lands unexpected influence. Now the prisoners there have some freedom. Paul is able to write letters as he's doing now. He's also able to have visitors come and talk with them. 
but they don't want him to escape. So he's chained to one of these guards and it rotates who that guard is every six hours. Talk about a captive audience. Who is the prisoner now? Paul is a preacher talking about the message of Jesus and these guards can't escape. They can't get away from it, whether they like it or not. Can you imagine the water cooler talk among those guards? Have you done your rotation yet with that guy? He's a live wire. But it isn't just inside the prison where the message of Jesus is spreading. It's actually spreading in the believers in Rome as well. Because as they are watching this and watching Paul's example, they too are growing in confidence that the message of Christ is legit and real and is true. And so Paul says, actually, don't worry about me. Things aren't as bad as you think. There's a silver lining to this jail cell thing. And as I think about um, what we are experiencing now, it is true that sometimes what we think is really bad in the end can be used for good. And I've heard this from many of you in the last few weeks. Things are not as bad as I thought they'd be in quarantine. In fact, I feel guilty. There's some silver linings. I didn't like my job that much anyway, and now this has given me the courage to kind of retool. I've been furloughed, and I can rethink and explore what I want to do vocationally. Or I make more in unemployment than I did with my real job anyways, <laughs> so I'm going to take another week. Uh, or we're not doing travel sports, and I'm not traveling for work, and so I have more time with my family. I'm taking up running or a new hobby. This is certainly true for me as a busy mom and pastor that the slower pace has been welcome. I can spend more time reading and in prayer and taking a walk at night with my husband. There are some good things. This is one valid response to what we are experiencing. Though, I would make two qualifications in what Paul has said. First, Paul says this about his own experience, not about somebody else's. And I think that's noteworthy. Second, the situation is not that serious. Yes, it's true, Paul is unsure whether he's going to live or not. He says, I don't know, I might die in this prison. But later on in verse 19, he says, I think I will be delivered. I think I will be released from this jail cell. And in fact, he is. He lives another four or five years. So sometimes we may think something is bad and God can use it for good. But we want to be careful how we say that on behalf of others. Because there's another letter Paul writes actually earlier in his career, to the church in Rome, in Romans 8, verses 18 to 30. And that has a slightly different emphasis. Let me tell you, the context there is Paul does, has some relationship with them, but he's not the founder, so it's a little less personal. Um, he writes to the church because he's heard the church is struggling with some basic aspects of their faith. And so Romans 8 is one of the most foundational passages in the Bible of understanding humanity, both our present and our future. I'm going to read only excerpts for the interest of time, but I want to encourage you to read this chapter in its entirety later. Essentially, Paul is saying, yes, life can be hard. There is goodness and beauty and love, but there is also hardship 
and evil and brokenness. And Paul says that's because even though we were created by a God who loves us, once sin entered the world, it marred everything. This world has been damaged by evil, even if it retains some aspect of its original goodness and beauty. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation will finally be freed from its bondage to sin and suffering when Jesus returns and establishes his rule on earth. Verse 23, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. A couple of years ago, I had a memorable conversation with a woman from Alpha who has become a dear friend. We were talking about the second coming and she said, wait, wait, what? Jesus is coming again? I thought he came at Christmas. I thought it was like one and done. And I said, no, he's coming again. That's actually the very best part of the story. The Christian understanding of history is that God in Jesus opposes sin and suffering, has conquered it, and will one day eliminate it. He will one day set this world right. God's good future is described in Revelation 21, where there will be no more viruses, sickness, death, racial or economic disparity that exacerbates suffering. No more division politically that can hinder people being cared for. No more selfishness. No more disregard for humanity or elderly, no more broken relationships. Paul's view in Romans 8 is that while there is much that is uncertain, there is one thing that is not uncertain, and that is that God is going to return to set this world right. And that confidence in the future is to shape how we view the present. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Now, I think it's funny that Paul gives the analogy of childbirth and the pains of childbirth, but it's still a good one. It's a good analogy because birth pains are painful. There is no denying that. But if all goes as it should, those pains are productive in ushering in a new reality, a new creation. They are painful reminders that what we are longing for is not yet here. And they can serve to help us yearn for that new reality until the pain is over. That's the idea behind eager expectation. When you and I see the painful effects of quarantine on children, on families, on communities. When we see the huge disparities this disease causes among different people, when we witness division and discord um, among differences in ideologies, when we see the fractured relationships, blatant disregard for life, we can groan. We can recognize that this is yet another indication we are not yet in God's good future. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And while I don't have time for it today, if you read the rest of this chapter, you will see we are not alone in our groaning. 
The Holy Spirit is so close and present with us in this. In fact, he groans for us and utters prayers to God that help make sense of our pain and transform in God listening. And we, the church, are to enter into the groaning of others, the pains of others. And then comes Romans 8, 28 and 29. The main thing that God's spirit does in all of this is to use these experiences to make us more like the image of his son. And we know that in all things, God, and it's referring to God's spirit, works for the good of those who love him to be conformed to the image of his son. God works all things for good in the end when Jesus returns. And he works all things for good by transforming us more into his image in the meantime. See, if Philippians is for those who can quarantine somewhat pleasantly in our homes, and there's nice silver linings, Romans is written more to the ICU nurse in New York or the prisoner in a jail cell watching an outbreak take inmate after inmate and having no control over it. Or the healthcare worker or patient resident who's fearful, not sure what this will mean for them. The unemployed person who now has no health insurance. The refugee living in a camp without running water. Sometimes God can bring good out of bad, and that is true. And sometimes things are bad, and we don't have to force fit it or make it good now. Our hope and comfort sometimes is largely in the next life, and that God's Spirit can and is with us and will use this to draw us closer to Him and become more like Him. So what does that mean for us? The point today is we must hold both these truths equally. They do not cancel each other out. And God give us discernment in how we apply them for ourselves and for one another. Sometimes God can bring good out of bad circumstances. And sometimes the only good that comes from the bad is in the future. When God sets this world right or in making us more like him. A faith that works will sometimes, like Paul in Philippians, say God can overrule bad for good. And if that's the case for you, don't feel guilty about that. Enjoy the gifts God has given you. Seek to use those in knowing how to share with others in need. Um, I don't know is a great place to be. A few months ago, our entire reality was blown up how we spend our time, how we spend our money. So let's use that to recreate. God, what do you want in my life, in my family's life, in my church's life, in our country's life, in our world's life? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How can you use this for good? And a faith that works will also know that when something is bad, we don't have to force fit it and turn it into good. We have deeper resources than our hope being in the current present reality. We know that sometimes it is dark, that some people's uncertainty right now is quite grave, um, but that this world is not all there is and that this will not be how it ends. God will one day eliminate all suffering and we long for that day.
May we be people who have wisdom to discern the circumstance. May we be people who groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. May we be people who have true hope that God can bring good out of bad and that one day God will for all things. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.